When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to Big Gay Energy. I'm Bree. I'm Theora. And I'm Caitlin. Come along with us while we dive into the fun and nuances of queer media. Representation matters, and we're here to talk about it. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back to Big Witch Energy. Are you ready for this, Bree? I don't know. Am I? Are you? I am ready in spirit, perhaps not in physical body. Bree's having a rough day today, guys. Listen, from time to time, I have problems with my uvula. And I get a little sick. So if my voice sounds different, that would be why. I apologize for uh, what you're about to hear, except for the content, because that'll be great. Brie brought her sexy voice today for all of you. I did. I brought my, like, super low voice. Yeah, so. It's it's Halloween right now. Yeah, we're recording on Halloween. (laughs) So just FYI. Yeah, we thought we'd add a spooky element to the witch show we're talking about. That's right. I got sick on purpose. Yeah, and this (laughs) yeah, air quotes. Sometimes I get sick. Okay, she did this on purpose. So Mm -hmm. enjoy, everyone. Enjoy. (laughs) Just so you know, that is Brie actually talking (laughs) It is, I promise. We promise. We're not the spring. We can't, like, change our faces and stuff. I wish. I know. I'd be Amalia every day. I mean, then there'd be more Amalias in the world, so. Exactly. That's that's not a bad thing. Which, side note, I need to apologize for the last episode where I kept calling her Amalia Holmes with an S at the end. It's just, I want more of her in the world, and so I keep making her name We need plural Amalias. Right, exactly. That's what it is. I'm just manifesting that, you know. Yeah. So, Amalia, for some reason you're listening to this. I'm so sorry. I do know your name, I promise. We know your name. We know your name. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes, and you deserve all the awards for this show. Yes. Um, All right, cool. So with all of that, we we will uh, jump into episode two. So this episode is called My Witches. I love that title. I know, it's so good. And the the actual line, so this episode title is said in the show, and it's it's a good one. I love it. We will point it out. This episode was written by Elliot and directed by Steven Adelson. So this is the same crew that did the pilot. So of mm-hmm. course, it's going to be good, right? Absolutely. And it starts off in the best way possible. Listen. <laughs> Do you have something to add already? You said the best way possible. and Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. And I need I you to go on because I'm having a moment. Okay. While Bree's having a moment. I will go on. So the episode opens with this beautiful shot of Fort Salem basking in golden light, or Braille's color. Mm -hmm. And there's like birds chirping, there's romantic music, and we just like swoop into a bedroom. And we find Scylla and Rael basically trying to out-top each other, both physically and with their words. So it is the perfect way to start an episode, in my humble opinion. And with that, I think Scylla wins the top off. Let's be real. Because of her expert flirting, once again, that happens during this episode. 
she's so good. She's how so good. how how could anyone not want to be inspected by her? That's my question. Oh my god, that line, Jesus. Okay, Rail. This is you? an inspection. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I know. <laughs> <laughs> this is an inspection, and then I love that she's like roaming Rail's body, and Rail's like half heartedly like, yeah, no, really, I have to go. And so I was like, no, no, no. I need to secure this area because what? God damn it! It's so good. That's like god tier flirting. It is. And it is. How did Rail leave this room? Right, Rail. Plug your ears. Don't hear those bells. What are you doing? I would have gotten court martialed. Just say. Yeah. Again, give Amalia all the awards just for like this. There's lots of reasons for seducing an entire audience. Yeah. For yes. Seducing me. <laughs> This is a sexy episode, I guess. It is. <laughs> it is. But yeah, her expert. So in my opinion, she wins the top off here because of all this flirting. It's I agree, perfect. honestly. Yeah. But Rael physically tries to reclaim her top status physically and is like, no, no, I got to go for real. And so she gets off the bed, much to Scylla's chagrin, and starts getting dressed. And they start transitioning this conversation about family because Scylla... She makes an offhanded comment about Abigail and Rael kind of turns it around and is like, well, you know, she's the worst because of her family. Speaking of family, uh, what about yours? And Scylla, looking at her face, you can tell that like, this is a very uncomfortable topic for her. And she just kind of gives Rael a series of nothing answers about her family. Like, you know, I moved around a lot. It's complicated. And Rael, you can tell, is very much like, okay, like, why are you being so vague? I'm trying to plan our wedding. I need to know these things. And uh, Scylla, again, gets very, like, uncomfortable. And, oh, we learn in this conversation that Scylla's family, or at least her parents, didn't serve in the army. So in a world where they're forced to serve in the military, that's probably not great um, in the scheme of this America we're in. And so we start transitioning to, like, why this potentially is is a touchy subject for her. And Rael is kind of like, oh, well, whatever. Like, she doesn't seem to take this as a bad thing. And it's like, well, how did that work out, them not serving? And again, credit to Amali's acting here. And she morphs into this, like, very pained expression. It's just like, it's complicated. But you get the sense that it's not. It's very bad. But Rael, of course, brings her lesbian Jesus A-game. And she's just like, I do complicated. So, again, expert flirting goes both ways with them. And you can just tell from, like, the way Scylla receives this line that, like, she really wasn't expecting this, like, very sincere, like, yeah, like, tell me, like, you can confide in me from Rayo. But then as she, like, gay panics, the bell rings and Scylla's just like, okay, uh, don't you have to go? Like, you know, the bell's ringing. That's that's why we're not topping each other in the bed anymore. Like, don't you gotta go? And Rayo, again, is just like, why are you brushing me off constantly? And when she goes to leave... Scylla kind of like le- is like, oh, you coming back later? And Rael's like, yeah, well, we'll see. And gives her the cheek when she goes in for the kiss, which is, ooh, Scylla's in trouble. It's cold. It's so cold. And Scylla feels the coldness and you see her just like panicking when Rael leaves. I think the the beginning, middle, and end of this scene is Scylla going, abort, abort, abort. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> it's just like her head. There's all these warning bells going off. Yeah. I don't under like girl, you dating a girl that she's gonna ask about your family. Come on, you can't just seduce this girl and then have everything like not evolve. You're gonna talk about your feelings, all right? 
yeah, you're dating lesbian Jesus. Like, she's going to want to know these things. She's like, listen, it's been two days. We're obviously getting married. Like, I need to know the family. You parked outside. What's the baggage here? (laughs) Tell (laughs) me about the fam. I know. Are they going to like me? No, I like the U-Haul comment. Because at this point, has Rayelle even slept in her own dorm? I don't think she has. Maybe, like, twice. Really? Before... I think, I think maybe. Okay. It's like, I'm pretty sure we've only seen her sleep in Zola's room at this point. I know. we. It, it, that is, this is the truth. But you know, she's like, unless, well, I guess I know I'm not coming over here tonight. Gotta get my toothbrush back. Yeah, tonight it's not happening. That like, she got the cheek. That's, oof. You get the cheek, you, you're not getting any. <laughs> you're not getting anything else. And I do love that panicked look on Scylla's face at the end where you're just like, oh, shit, I've done it now. But also, like you said, the expression that comes over her face when she is the micro expressions. And that's what Amalia is so good at. It's just those very tiny moments that unless you're really watching her, you'll miss. So I suggest you watch Amalia's face at all times because, I mean, well, there are a lot of reasons. But yeah, to catch those moments in her craft. I mean, like, just appreciate her as an actor. From watching her the most, she's the best at really conveying everything that character is feeling and trying to express with her, the way she stands, the way she holds herself, and her micro-expressions in particular. That was, like, one of the first things I noticed in watching the shows. Her micro-expressions are so good, and you can just see everything that Scylla is feeling, which is amazing for a character that's supposed to be very walled off, so... It's worth watching her closely because she just really shows you everything the character's feeling. And that's the thing is talking to her about it is such a pleasure because you get the the small amount of time I have spoken to her. It's the way she expresses what she does and why. It's so interesting to hear that from an artist. And, and that's what I really think actors are, are artists who are painting you a picture with their words and their body movements. And so pay attention to especially Amalia's body movements because they're purposeful. Yeah. And again, like she brings to life this very walled off character and you can read her, which is awesome. So Scylla is legitimately panicking by the fact that it's not gay panic. She's actually panicking when Rayo leaves. So Rayo runs away from this situation uh, as you do if you're lesbian Jesus and you just got, you know, U-Haul blocked. Yeah. <laughs> she did. She didn't have time to grab the U-Haul. She's like, I don't know, I'm going to leave it here. It's double park. I gotta go. It's like, I have, the, I have the trailer on my U-Haul. I gotta go. Yeah. Anyway, so she's running away and that shot transitions into a little meeting that General Alder is having with the President of the United States. Miss Kelly Wade, we're about to see uh, a a nice big witch energy off oh going God. on. Yes, when these two are in a room, that's that's what's going on normally. Okay, in this episode in particular, there's a lot of like what I can only describe as big witch energy measuring contests happening. The first one is this between Wade and Alder, but there's ones that happen later between other characters. But this was amazing because. We learn that Kelly Wade is a human, so she's not a witch, but she's still showing off her BWE, which I'm not mad at that. Exactly. Like, we can give her honorary status. Yes, totally. 
because she's talking to General Alder about the spree and how the army has not accomplished what they have said they're going to with stopping the spree. So we have all these little moments in this scene where she's basically making fun of witches and General Alder Mm -hmm. and saying things like, we're going to get to a point where there's no safe place to be a person. So being a person, she's not counting witches in that. Witches aren't people. And you get this feeling that she's just conveying that witches are tools for the humans to use. And even if she's not consciously saying that, that's what comes across. And you can see Alder's anger and frustration at having to sit here and listen to this woman and give respect to this woman who is giving no respect back. That does not sit well with Alder at all because that's making fun of everything that she is. She is the mother witch and you are in her territory being disrespectful to the origins of who she is. And that's why it's a very important scene. It paints a really interesting picture of the human witch dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. And this whole scene, there's another scene that happens later, and I'll point it out that that's like parallels this scene. But this one here with Wade and Alder is very much like a power struggle kind of conversation where, you know, Sarah Alder, as we know, is, is in charge of the witches. And like you just said, like, you get the sense from all the humans, they're not like, accepting so much of the witches as they accept that they're they can be useful to the humans for fighting wars and so kelly's coming in there being like well why are the spree still running amok and you're obviously not defeating them or you know it's gonna be safe for unsafe for me pretty soon so you guys better do something or i'm gonna replace you is kind of what this conversation is and Sarah tries to pull rank by being like, well, you know, these are military matters. I don't have to involve you in this. And Kelly's like, no, no, no. The American people elected me. So yes, you do have to report to me. So it's like a power struggle kind of conversation. And Sarah, you can tell like, she's got this like facade on and trying to be like diplomatic throughout this conversation. But by the end, like the biddies start like surrounding Wade. So you can tell that Sarah, it like takes this personally, like the witch stuff. So it's not just like this political thing to her. And, and there's another scene later that really parallels this to show that, you know, the witch army and like stopping the spree is something that's personal to Sarah Alder. It's not just like business, like the way it is for Kelly. Did you have anything else on this scene? Because I have a couple of things. No, girl, you go for it. Ooh, all right. First of all, Elliot, I love the choice to make the president of the United States a badass woman of color. Like... I want to live in this America where this is the president. It's like fuck. That's something we need in this America. Yes. Sorely. More, more women. Oh my God. Yes. In POC and power positions. Exactly. So I love that choice. Love it. And the, the actor, I don't know her name. I'm very sorry. She's so good. Like I love. She is so good. Love her. It's like she makes you understand where she's coming from but also dislike yeah what she's saying at the same time yes he's like gives you that stymie politician feel but with some authenticity behind Mm -hmm. it if that makes sense like you know she's she started from a pot she started from a place where she's trying to do the best she can for you know the people of america but inevitably politics 
itself gets in the way of that. Yeah, totally. And you can kind of see from her perspective, like if the spree is running amok and just like mass murdering and we're not stopping them, it makes the president look bad. So that's kind of why she's like coming to Sarah now. Yeah, it makes her seem like she doesn't have power. And one last thing I want to talk about. So when we first enter the sea and Sarah's like spritzing her witch garden and... Um, spritzing her witch garden? <laughs> she's spritzing her witch garden. <laughs> and... The president is like over her shoulder being like, so wait a minute, if I chew on these herbs during a full moon, I'll like float in the sky like, what are you basically? Again, othering the witches. And Sarah mentions three different herbs and says that this is what's the ingredients for Salva. So I thought we'd take a moment. Wait a minute. Are we about to have a Dr. Theora's lesson? Yes. We're going to have a Dr. Theora's pharmacology lesson. Oh, okay. Here we go. Get ready, guys. Buckle your seatbelt. Yes. So the three herbs she mentions are henbane, aconite, and yarrow. And so I was just kind of curious why on earth these three herbs make up salva. Because we, we've talked a lot about the salva. But uh, anyway, so I'll start with henbane. This particular one, there's a couple of chemicals like scopalamine that we can derive from henbane that we use in modern medicine. So like if you've ever gone on a cruise ship or somewhere where you're motion sickness and your doctor gave you like this patch you kind of put behind your ear for like three days, that's scopalamine. So it comes from henbane. And so what it does is it, it kind of like, it, it's anti-nausea, which is why they give it to you when you go on cruise ships. There's another compound called atropine that you can get from henbane that can slow your heart down. So if you're in like a, in a code or where your heart's beating too quickly, like that's something we use in like emergency medicine to slow it down and normalize it. And so if you keep this in the context of salvo, which is they use when they, they're jumping out of planes, it keeps them from getting nauseous, which is important when you're flying through the air, I guess, and slows your heart rate down because, you know, that seems like an adrenaline inducing situation when you're jumping out of a helicopter. So I guess this one's to kind of like stabilize the witch's body is kind of why this is in here. And that's just from like a pharmacology perspective. Also with these herbs, there's like magical uses through like throughout the ages. And so I found some interesting stuff about henbane. So they used to use henbane in what they called hallucinogenic salves. So essentially, um, they combine it with a bunch of stuff. And there was one passage I found associated with henbane in this salve, which is something like you put on the skin and it absorbs. There was like vivid episodes of flying or falling associated with this kind of drug. And so in the folklore of witches, they think that witches flying was like associated with these salves that the henbane was in. So that connection to salva where they're literally flying, like President Wade said, I'll float if I take this. And I found this other passage in like magical lore about henbane that was really interesting. And it was reported by this guy named Albertus Magnus, who said that necromancers, so the necros, used henbane to invoke souls of the dead. So I thought that was interesting. So tied to Scylla, the necro, introducing us all to Salva. Uh, the third one, was, uh, the second one she mentioned was aconite, which the common name for that is wolfsbane. So you may have heard it called that in like fairy tales or whatever. And historically it was used to like kill carnivores, like wolves from like a protective perspective and of course humans were like oh if it kills wolves it'll kill people so it's was used in poisons for a lot of the time and the way it works is it can affect your heart basically and your muscles so it can cause them to like not contract or contract too much so in if you take too much wolfsbane you can get seizures uh cardiac arrhythmias things like that and so i think this is another way that they're again trying to like control like the witches like adrenaline response so that they can focus while they're falling out of a plane basically 
And call back to the line with Kelly, who said, if I take this on a full moon, I'll float. In the medieval magic with Henbane, they believe that if you had contact with this wolfsbane on a full moon, they, it can cause shape-shifting. So this is where you get, like, werewolves, I guess. Can I get some of that? Right. <laughs> I'd this like is, to shape shift, please. Uh, some shape shifting, please. Just don't take too much because you might die. Yeah, let's not have that. No, let's not have that. That's why these drugs are dangerous. Um, and then the last one was yarrow, which honestly, I couldn't find a lot of useful stuff about yarrow. It just seems like it's a filler ingredient um, from a pharmacology perspective. It has a compound in it called salicylic acid, which is what aspirin is. So I guess some level of like pain relief, again, when you're falling through the air. And lore-wise, the actual plant is called Achillea uh, millifolium. And the name, the genus name, Achillea, comes from the Greek figure Achilles. And so in the stories about him, they said that he used to carry yarrow to treat wounds after battles. So... Maybe it's just military battles, Achilles, and that's why they threw Yarrow in there. So that's Salva, everyone. You solved the Salva. <laughs> I don't know about that. If anyone knows more about this, like, let me know. Yeah, um, I really love that, that you explained all of that because I love the mythology and lore that they use in the <sighs> show. And Same. It's just really cool to... Uh, to hear that from your perspective, since you kind of know all the the good pharmacological stuff. There's plenty more mythology that I will be bringing into this episode, but I totally agree with you. What I do love about what he does in the material is it's not just from like one source, because a lot of the times you get mythology from just like one, like it's like just, they're pulling from Greek mythology, but Elliot pulls from like all over the world, which is so awesome. And I love it. Absolutely. Uh, it's more inclusive yes. and- that's important because everyone's mythology is valuable and important. So we should learn more of that, especially in the U.S., I believe. 100%. Yeah. But that, with the end of your lesson, gets us to the opening credits. We promised we would talk about them. Yes. In the last episode, and now here we are. They're epic. That's the first thing I'll say. But first of all, the song is composed by Brandon Roberts, who does the entire score for the show, is amazing. And it's a song and an opening credit sequence that I can watch. I refuse to not watch it. Like if I watch an episode, I will watch the entire thing through every time. The, the imagery from the opening credits is absolutely amazing you pick up something new every time you watch it yes it has this very this old tapestry vibe in the way that it floats on the wind that you get all of the history and you see how witches have affected the history of the united states and you've got the you follow this thread around the tapestry that shows you different witches in different situations and a fabric version of the salem accords in the background, you've got paintings of witches in battle and also a very important image that is the map of the United States yes. as it is in this world. It's a little bit different from the one we all know. That's a little. So you've got some states missing and some states changed. There are different borders, and you've got an entire swath of the middle of the country that's just no longer states. It's the session. 
So we're missing Arkansas. We're missing Missouri. We're missing what else are we missing? I think there's like one Virginia and there's like one Carolina. Yeah, there's one. Things there's, like that. Yeah. Unfortunately, Florida still exists. So as somebody from Florida, that pisses me off. Like, why on earth is this still here? But yeah, I'm sorry, everyone. And somebody who lived in Florida, I agree Ugh, with you and think that it should have just skittered off into the ocean. I, yes, 100%. But unfortunately, it's still here. But I'm sorry if you're from Florida and you love it, but we're just not fans. Florida's gaslighting you into thinking you like it. You it don't, is. Trust me. Have you seen the bugs there? <laughs> I know. As, as somebody who doesn't live there anymore, Florida's gaslighting you. Trust me. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm not a fan. No. So we've got even some switches. You've got Louisiana is now above Texas, mm. oh, which yeah. what yeah. the heck? Yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing Texas doesn't have a panhandle anymore. Yeah, but it just goes to show you the impact of, like, again, like, Sarah Alder, like, literally changed the landscape of America. Precisely. With making this deal with the military, she's changed. One little thing can change everything in history. And that is exactly what the point is and the reason we're seeing this map. So the stitches lead us around the opening tapestry, showing us lineages of witches, flashes, you know, we go to General Alder, and then you get to see uh, something I think is worth pointing out is the first bellwether, which to serve. So that just tells you how important Abigail's line is and, and how it all started at the beginning with Sarah Alder having the first bellwether witch serve with her who was a freed slave so big important there then we go to the flag and we've got pentagrams for the stars and logo uh you know you've got the name of the show in very patriotic letters with the stripes and the stars so it really evokes a patriotism but it's infused with witch energy yeah great that's a perfect description and we get in this episode we get into sarah alder's origin story that kind of explains a lot of this like the event the one event you're talking about that changed everything one thing i want to point out in this opening sequence is you see this alternate universe version of the crossing of the delaware with sarah alder and in an interview lynn renee the actor that plays sarah alder mentioned that like that that is it's not just like a reenactment like sh- there there was no washington crossing the delaware in this because sarah alder like infused herself in the military she's the one that did that so she was very influential in literally shaping america through these like historic moments that would have otherwise happened with like other military leaders but because of that it was sarah alder and like her witches and the tornadoes that did all this and that painting if you really compare it side by side with the actual like washington crossing the delaware it's like so similar like they did a great job recreating that for this show it's it's amazing and we if you grew up in the united states and you had and you went to school and had to take american history you're familiar with that painting so it it would have evoked like what is going on here like is this because we all know that painting if if you're from here so i really love that touch of putting her in the place and having washington just not have done any of that it's very powerful yeah so this is truly alternate universe america and alternate universe earth i'm here for it like can we live there 
I want Wade as my president. <laughs> We've been I over want this. Wade as my president. Right. I want I want Sarah Alder as my general. And yes, um, yes, ma'am. We it had this universe obviously has its problems, but I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. Florida exists, so obviously has problems. But uh, <laughs> Florida dis. <laughs> from the opening credits, we jump out of that. Do you have any more thoughts on that? No, I'm good. We can we can go to breakfast now. It's breakfast time. Callie and Abigail are already eating, and Rael, being the hot mess express that she is, runs in. I love that phrase. <laughs> I'm going to use that. She's a gay disaster in this whole episode. She is a gay disaster. <laughs> Just in general, but here it's pretty bad. So basically, Rael comes in, and she's like, I was late for the bell, and they're like, yeah, we know. And Oh, yeah, so Mama Costi gets Rael in trouble, and she now has night duty because she missed her bell and missed inspection. So this is happening. Abigail's annoyed. Callie's just like, wow, I need better friends and looks over and lo and behold, finds one of her childhood friends from the matrifocal compound, Glory. So we get introduced to Glory Moffat. Love her. We love Glory. We do. Oh, I love We Glory. need more Glory. Yes. Yes, Elliot. Yes. And so Tally and Glory go and talk and basically you kind of get like this foiling happening with Glory where... Kelly is very excited to be in the military. As we all know, this was like her big choice. And Glory's just like petrified. She's like, Tally, I can't even believe you're here. I'm so scared. I can barely do seeds. I'm afraid I'm going to die a terrible death. And Tally kind of like calms her down. And, you know, she's like, it's going to be great. Don't worry about it. You got this kind of thing. And by the end of it, this woman, officer woman comes over and it's like, hey, I need to steal your coffee because the officers are all out. And they kind of part ways and the woman makes this comment to Tally, oh, you remind me of my daughter, which comes up later. This is General Clary. General Clary has one of my favorite moments in this whole episode. That happens. And then Mama Costia comes in to the room and is like, hey, everyone, there's a pageant happening. Um, and let's make this more competitive. And we're going to compete as units to see who gets to go to the pageant. It's a chance for them to get off base. So... Girls are all motivated and everybody stomps. And I love that they carry through this theme of the stomping as a way to energize. I mean, I've seen that used before in other things like uh, other military type situations and uh, things of that nature. So that's just something I, I, I liked. Yeah, it's like a military version of just like screaming uncontrollably, which you can't do in the military. So they're like, let's just stop. But yeah, they do it a lot this episode. But yeah, after breakfast, we're going to go uh, hang out with General Alder, who's seeing the president off. So after the motorcade drives off, we see Anacostia runs down the stairs to, to chit-chat with, with Sarah. And you can see from the very beginning of this that uh, General Alder is very pissed off. Their conversation, I think, went just as well as it did when we were with them in that last scene in uh with the salva so they have a little chat about how the president's threatening alder with bringing out conventional forces to fight the spree if they don't bring home a victory in ukraine i'd also like to give kelly a note it's probably not a great idea to threaten alder no not at all (laughs) so she can fly alive with her voice that's the big witch energy i'm talking about exactly so foolish or not she has threatened and they chat about how Kelly worries more or president, our president Wade worries more about getting reelected than 
the actual consequences of what the spree is doing. It's like she's not really worried about defeating the spree for any other reason than her image. And that's what General Alder takes away from that conversation. Which, to an extent, I think is true, but also I think she does care uh, on whatever level. Uh, so they talk about how things are going with their fight with the spree, and they talk about Ukraine. But they're walking towards a bunch of kids who are playing and laughing as they do this. And they're getting closer, and we find out that these children are the fosterlings. And this is where we get a really nice little tidbit of Anacostia's past because she was a fosterling and you get the sense that, that Alder was responsible in a large part for raising Anacostia and she probably took an interest in her from a young age. She, as she, she did. They actually talk about this in an after the storm interview with Lynn and Demetria that Sarah Alder did specifically take an interest in Anacostia and Demetria said that that's the thing that really shaped Anacostia into who she is today. So this was very significant that this happened and you can kind of see it like on her face, like Anacostia is very like proud of this whole like exchange. So that is true. That's an awesome little tidbit. So I really love that they do those after the storms mm -hmm. and I I've watched them all. I just, my, my ADHD brain doesn't, let me remember things so i'm really glad that you have the memory in in this podcast relationship <laughs> i took notes <laughs> but yes of course you did you nerd yep. you freaking nerd that's how i got the doctor <laughs> <laughs> fair enough <Yep. laughs> i got through on good looks and charm hey yours cost less than my two letters so that's loans. true that's true so uh, we have them talking while they're talking about all of this. We still have the children there and Alder blesses the children, which is a really sweet moment. And you get to see how human she really is underneath all of that. So that's a very good point. But I, I want to see what you think about this. When they're actually saying the prayer, their voices augment. So like, yeah, they're, they're actually... They're they're actually using work yeah. to bless these children. Yeah, I didn't notice that the first time I watched it. I was like, oh shit, this is a this is actually work they're doing on these little kids. It's actually work. Yeah. And I don't know if, if a lot of people noticed that, but I, I did notice it because uh, I'm freaky like that. But okay, so yes, they're using actual work to bless these children, which is really cool. And these are the little things that I want to know about as far as which is work is concerned. What all do they use it for? Like with the blessings and what is the result of, of these little blessings? So I think that's really cool. And then after all of that, they turn to speaking about our unit TM, uh, which is Rael, Tally and Abigail. Uh, Alder asks how they're doing and Anacostia says they're doing better. And she, she has an interesting turn of phrase, which is also a cool thing that you you hear Alder using things that I imagine are older turns of phrases like that Abigail whinnied and pouted when when Alder kicked her out of her office. Again, it's animal insults. That's what horses do. Animal insults are witches a witch's thing. Yeah, apparently. It's a witch's thing, yeah. But yeah, throughout this whole scene, we get to see how human Sarah Alder is with the children and how she's taking an interest in the unit. She speaks about what they did in vocal training, which we know showed that our girls are powerful ass witches. Mm -hmm. And 
it set them apart as special. So despite the behavioral issues that they have going on, their power makes them a, a little more noticeable to Alder. And she says that she's taken an official interest. Yep. Which kind of harkens back to her taking an official interest in Anacostia when she was growing up. So we see that Alder plans to be watching them and being some kind of influence on our unit. Yeah. And I, I also want to point out with Anacostia in particular. So the fosterlings are kids that lose their their parents. So like their mom basically dies in combat. And so the state then raises them. And so... it. That means that Anacostia, you know, lost her parents. But we also learned in this episode that Scylla also lost her parents. And so she was also an orphan. And so what I find really interesting is when Demetria said Sarah Alder taking an interest in her really set her on a trajectory for who she is. I think it sets up a nice contrast with Scylla, who was also orphaned and didn't have that military person taking an interest in her and where she ended up, which was with the spree. So... I thought that was very interesting to kind of show that. And unfortunately, we don't know yet what influences Scylla had on her life during that time period. Right. Totally. And hopefully we'll find out. But Yes, give her more screen time. <laughs> give her more backstory. Give us the backstory, please. We want it. Yes. But I found that interesting. Oh, and uh, other little tidbit from like interviews with Elliot. So... Sarah Alder also, the other piece of this is she says like, oh, it's really good for me to be with these kids. And we learned from Elliot that Sarah Alder never had kids. And the reason why is when later in the episode, when they show you her, like the reenactment of her, like singing the scene that like changed America and the world, basically. When she did that, it physically changed her body and it made her infertile. So Sarah Alder can't have kids. So because of that, I feel like her maternal instinct is to like take care of all like all witches basically became her children like she'll call like a lot of like she calls Anacostia like daughter and things like that so I think this is a good moment for that too to kind of show that like you know Sarah Alder has those motherly like paternal instinct not paternal but parental instinct instincts but she was kind of robbed of that opportunity through the choice to like use that work like many many moons ago that's very sad it is did you know she would have had so many witch babies they, they would have given the Bellwethers a run for their money. Could you imagine Alders versus the Bellwether rivalry? Oh my goodness. Can you imagine all the little Alders running around? Right? Just a, That would have been cool. That would have been cool. Too bad. Too bad. She got robbed. Um, she did get robbed. Yeah. But uh, speaking of rivalries from that scene. Woohoo! Here we go. We okay. go to training. And, of course, the yellow glow is back because Rail's in this scene. Lesbian Jesus is here. She is here. Hydrate yourselves, everyone. Hydrate for lesbian Jesus. And this scene gives us the first exchange of many of the Bellwethers versus the Swites, because we're introduced to Libba Swite, and her and Abigail get into this amazing bantering where they're just, like, slinging insults at each other. And, listen, I'm just going <laughs> to... I'm just going to highlight my favorites from this because they're amazing. So Libba starts off by calling Abigail, Abigail Bedwetter while slow climbing. I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> so good. And then 
<laughs> and then she tells her she has a face like a spider abortion, which... What? I've, I'm using that in everyday life now, by the way. What does that mean? I can't even, like, formulate the imagery in my mind for that. I don't know what that means. I want to see the tiny spider doctor doing the tiny spider abortion. <laughs> what the hell? It's so good. And then... Abigail comes back with calling her a contagion, which I love, and says, <laughs> you're the kind of stupid that spreads. Oh, my God. <laughs> and when Libba keeps, like, nagging her after that, she comes back and says, maggots will reject your corpse. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's so good. This entire exchange is so well written. It's so funny, but also so so freaking they go so hard i appreciate it i love it and the insults are just like wild i love them so much um so yeah from them you get this epic like montague versus capulet vibes like they're warring families and um at the end of that basically mama costi comes in the room and she's like yeah enough of all this nonsense uh, i'm here look at me and she's holding this pointy spear looking thing as the cadets kind of circle around her and then she Tosses the weapon to Tally, and she's like, who obviously, like, fumbles it because it's Tally. <laughs> and uh, she's like, all right, now try to try to stab me with this thing. And poor Tally attempts multiple times to, like, kill Anacostia like a, like a good soldier, but Tally, you know, doesn't have it in her. So Mama Costia gets really annoyed, and she's like, oh, my God, is anybody here going to actually, like, be a soldier and try to kill me? So Libba and, and Abigail being like the fearless leaders they are both go for the spear but abigail gets there first so abigail does come at mama costia and oh my god sorry i have a dog on my lap mama costia uh is the anyway abigail comes at mama costia and mama costia does this work that disintegrates the spear and flings abigail up <laughs> to the side um so that's their lesson for today and I had to write down what she said. It's called wind shear. And this is their first military canon lesson. So canon, you'll come to find canon work is basically like the work that's approved via the Hague when we get into the next episode that you're allowed to do during battle. So it's like their first like weapon that they're learning for their work, basically. And the wind shear, as Mama Kasi describes, is a site-specific rapid conjuration impact-absorbing shield which is a mouthful, but what it does, well, how they do it is they have to layer two different seeds subvocally. So this is one of the first clues that like witches, not only do they have vocal cords that are different that lets them do the work, but they also have their ears are different so they can hear sounds like outside of the range of human hearing, which is how they do this particular seed. Can I point out that she says no big deal after that? I love it. She's like, you do this really complicated thing I just explained to see in some vocal. No big deal. No big deal. I just did it. No big deal, right? Yeah, you can do it too. Like, this is easy easy stuff. Easy peasy. I love Malakasi. And the look on her face, too, is so smug. Mm -hmm. it's I love witch, it. Big witch energy, guys. It's so great. So at the end of that, they she basically just like starts them off with seed 41, which is haste and accumulation. And then we... That's the end of that scene, basically. So they get started on learning work. I love it. Just learn some work, girls. But uh, after this scene, we get post-training. Our unit is walking down the hall, and Tally wants the goss. So she's catching up with Abigail, who's just going down that hallway, walking real fast. 
And Tally, like the little cute exclamation point she is, is just asking her about Libba and, and what that was all about. <laughs> Sexual she tension. She, that's what it was about. <laughs> yeah. Subtext. <laughs> so much subtext. So our she explains that their mothers hated each other in war college. And uh, they've basically been holding a grudge, a familial grudge, over these generations. And then she lets out a little tidbit about how it was added to by Libba. And Rael is just in the back this whole time looking like she wants to be anywhere but here listening to this. She's like, I have, my, I have my own gay drama. Me and Stella are fighting. I can't deal with this. I'm fighting with my girlfriend. So I don't want anything to do with your, you know, petty rich people drama. That's how I, I see yeah. Rael thinking or what I see what Rahel thinking in the background there as she's like sipping her coffee. Lesbian Jesus has better things to worry about. Uh, Abigail, Abigail and Tal, they're all walking down the stairs and Rahel's rolling her eyes. And Abigail says that Libba danced with her cavalier before she had a chance to. And I'm like, is this some kind of weird West side story gang warfare thing with, with like Debs and ballrooms? What language are you speaking? Yeah, it's Romeo and Juliet. Cap Capulets of the Montagues. That's what's happening here. Yeah, so we find out that it wasn't really about the guy. Of course not. It was it's a about the sexual tension between us. <laughs> it's about the sexual tension between Libba and Abigail. Not no. about the guy. It's about Libba. No. <laughs> it was about how it was Abigail's night and Libba took it from her. So we get a sense of Tally and Rael who are from a very, very different worlds than Abigail are set back here going, really? That's why you're pissed off and have been for how many years now? And to Abigail, it's just, it's a big thing because in her world, status is everything. And Libba messed with her status. So that's how Abigail sees the world at this moment and how she sees her rivalry with Libba, which I do love Libba. I think she's a great foil, but also, <clears throat> but also I don't think we got enough of her. So uh, yeah. Same goes with glory. Yes. Yes. Glory. We need more of. So that, that's pretty much that scene. We just find a little bit more about Abigail and, and Libba and their past together and Abigail's past in general. And also like, this is a little bit about the, like, I guess, elite culture in the military too Correct. that goes on with these witches with like these ballrooms and the cavalier thing and, and Abigail explains that like the date is like astrological and so there's like this whole cultural thing that goes into these ballroom dance type it's it's like a coming out like a debutante coming out yeah no totally it is and and it's I think it's obviously restricted to like the elite society because Rail and Tally are just like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, obviously this doesn't happen in the matrifocal compound or the session. So I thought that was interesting too. Another like background tidbit of. Um, yeah, absolutely. Is, yeah. It just shows their differences. Totally. It's more world building. It's really cool through this story. It is. It is. Freaking world building, Elliot. You're a genius. He's so good. Yeah. It's so good. So just a tidbit there. Just a nice tidbit to get us into the mystery of Helen Graves. Yes. Also yes. someone I love. Right. More of her, please. <laughs> More of her. I'm sorry, but that actress is 
is hot as hell. She is. Uh, yeah. She I, is just, she's uh, got that way about her. Her energy is so good. More of her, please. So we, we go to Rail on Nightwatch, who is patrolling very oddly through a hallway i love that her jacket's not even up like she looks disheveled like what is she doing (laughs) she looks like she just came in from she got a hangover and she's (laughs) walking she does does. and it's like girl you're supposed to be on night patrol which means you're on duty girl you're supposed to be like patrolling the grounds why don't you get your military ass together zero fucks rail like but also we know that rail can't wear a jacket so you know you're right not even her army uniform we've seen her wear properly so you're correct that is that is what's happening there you go thank you exactly so she's walking down a hallway and we have uh, Helen come into the building behind her and she looks like she's sass to begin with. Mm-hmm. So she scares the crap out of Rael by coming up behind her and they introduce each other. And so they're like, you must be private caller. Here's some, I brought some coffee and then Rael turns her down. And I'm like, why you turn down the coffee girl? You look tired. You, you, you are, just, you have a hangover. What do you get? Take the you coffee. have a hangover. Take the coffee. You're going to be out here all night, right? right? So then Helen goes around checking the door and I'm like, Rael, were you supposed to be doing that this right. whole time? And I you're love just that. falling down on it? Rael was literally just walking down the hallway doing nothing. Yeah. And Helen is just like checking doors. And we're like, Rael. <laughs> You weren't even doing it. Lesbian Jesus. She's Jesus is bad at guard duty. That's what I learned. She is a bad at guard duty and hungover here. But she is sassy. Uh, So that's a constant. She she gets points for the sass coming back. So we get Helen. We find out Helen's a sophomore in war college, and she's also a necro. Mm -hmm. That's why she's so sexy. I guess. I guess it's the necros are just sexy, y'all. Uh, so Rael gets uh, curious automatically and we know why. And she's asking Helen about necros and what it's like. And Helen's explaining that it's like they channel the power of death itself. And I need to know more. Mm-hmm. We all do. And just, so apparently death has its own magnetism and resonance and it's highly directable in combat situations. And she's giving me this total text total sexy intense death girl vibe and still has got the same thing uh-huh. and i love it Learned it, yes so basically the dead are great for gathering intelligence so are they animating the dead and then they're being spies right because later there's a battle where there's dead people and no one's channeling them so i'm really curious how this actually works in combat because we never see it yeah we haven't seen it and we need to know we need to know more thank you so rail wants to know all of these things about necros and Helen wants to know why she's so interested. And she, she kind of doesn't tell her for a hot minute. And then Helen kind of makes fun of her a little bit about that. And she said, fine, I may have a special necro in my life. And that's when we get to uh, her telling Helen about Scylla and Helen imparting her knowledge about Scylla to Rael so she tells her about how her par- that her parents died and that Syl has been through a lot and that there's also the whole thing about necros being the bastard sisters of of the witch community 
and I need to know more about this. Yes. Like, can can they like bring back a dead army? I don't know. Well, someday maybe we'll see. Uh, and she says, I, "Don't quote me, but here's what happened to Scylla's parents: like that the army killed them. They were Dodgers. So Rail is looking very troubled by this conversation, and you kind of see the gears turning in her head." And I really love the way Taylor manages to get that across, that she's feeling all of these conflicting emotions. It's like 10 out of 10, girl, because I can tell that Rael is thinking about, oh, my God, her parents were killed. Well, that much must explain why she doesn't want to talk about this stuff. I think also what she's trying to convey, too, is that connection there, because in Rael's mind, the army killed her mom. So I think that Rael can relate to Scylla not really wanted to talk about this because in the first episode we see Rael doesn't really open up about her mom until like much later with Tally. So I think she kind of is like, okay, I, I can, I get why she was being so evasive. Like, absolutely. They, they have a lot more, they have a lot in common in that way. Yes, they do. In the sense that Scylla and Rael were both not very forthcoming in the beginning of this right. show. So you see that there's a, a level on which they can understand one another that other people, other characters can't. Yes. Very well said. Yeah, I agree. Cosine. And then we have Helen who's casually walking around looking into windows with her flashlight, keeping up the pretense that they're actually doing a night watch and patrolling things. If the base security is up to these two, I really think, the place would burn and they're, burn down in flames. But <laughs> I want to know if everyone is like this on, on Nightwatch. <laughs> yeah, right. Is it just a, like a punishment that people have to do? Right. But, <laughs> but basically it comes down to sad lesbian Jesus is sad lesbian Jesus. And Helen offers to cover for her and let her go home and, and sleep when, when really it would be, Ray, we know that Rael would just go straight to Scylla's if that were the case, if she were to go off guard duty. But she says no. She's going she's gonna to soldier on. And I really think it's that she's got to brood about all of this before she goes and talks to Scylla. And Helen is like, all right, fine. And Rael walks away. And then that's, that's when it happens. That's when we find out that Helen is not exactly who we thought she was. Because you get the spree music coming in uh-huh. and this cool reflection shot in the window and dun, dun, dun. It was Scylla the whole time because she burns, uses the lighter to burn the, the Helen's face off and we see Scylla. 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 Bad spy, Scylla. Bad spy, Scylla. Rayel's right there. She just walked away. You're going to burn your face off. Listen, okay. Scylla is a bad bad spy. Everybody in the show, honestly, is a bad spy. But Scylla's really bad. So, yeah, she clicks the lighter while Rayel's walking away. So she gives her, like, five steps before she lights her face on fire. I love the reflection in the window because... They were just in that building, so that's like people's rooms. So Scylla is out in the dark, lighting her face on fire in front of people's dorm rooms. Scylla, what if someone's gonna wake up and see her? Right, like what if someone's just like insomnia, couldn't sleep, and looks out the window, is like, oh, this woman's lighting her face on fire. Oh, Scylla Ramsor was in the spree. Like, what were you thinking? (laughs) 
She's so bad. I love I love that Amalia has said oh, in the so in the past that yeah, Scylla's not very subtle. And we're like, are you kidding me? Okay, this is Scylla, I'm not sure she can define that word. There's a difference between being subtle and being smart. Like Scylla's really smart, but then she does dumb things and you're like, you obviously did not think this through at all. That's the thing is she's just she just does things right. and, and she and Rael have that in common. Oh my god. Scylla <laughs> does things because she can. And then you're like, okay, but the consequences of this, what were you thinking? So that was dumb. Girl. She's just trying to be dramatic. It's her dra- it's her drama extraness coming out. That's what that was. Absolutely. She's like, it's cooler to do this in the dark. Yeah, let's do it in the dark in front of people's rooms. But like, what if Rael's like, hey, I want that coffee and comes back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and, all, and all of a sudden, there's Scylla standing there in the same uniform with embers burning off her face. Yeah, I said, oh, uh, Helen d- is doing necro stuff. What do you want? She left me this coffee for some reason. I love it. Right. She's dumb. But I, I, I love her so much for all her shenanigans. I love her. Um, so after Scylla shows us she's a terrible spy yet again, we end up back at vocal training where Tally and Abigail are practicing the wind shear and you see Abigail do it. Like Tally comes at her with this like feather thing because they don't get spears and she disintegrates it and looks all proud of herself. Uh, Rael is sitting on the floor now sleeping because she hasn't slept really in like 48 hours. And Mama Castia is like, no, no, no. There's no weakness in the army. Rael, get up. Let me show you what real endurance is if you want to gripe about your gay shenanigans that got you guard duty. So she makes Abigail, like as an example to Rael, makes her do this seed 26, which is the seed of discord. And she's like, I'll tell you when to stop, Abigail. And I do love the way they had Ashley Nicole Williams sing this because it sounds like the word discord. So discord, the word means like lack of harmony. And the way she's singing it, it's this very disjointed kind of sound that sounds like literal discord and as she's singing it you see over over time like it gets harder and harder for abigail to maintain this like then her neck veins start bulging and mama costia starts looking at rail like she's in pain and you did this is your fault and abigail starts like shrinking into herself and then hunching over and finally mama costia is just like nods and abigail stops and she like collapses onto the floor so you're kind of left with this sense at the end that like Rael kind of feels sympathy towards Abigail. She's like, this is kind of my fault. I don't like you, but I didn't want to hurt you. And Mama Costi's like, cool. I just made an example. Uh, let's move on to Windstrike, ladies. And she gives them like a two hour break before they get started. And Listen, the whole time I hurt for both of them because man, especially now given what's going on with my throat, I'm feeling a lot of sympathy for Abigail. <laughs> And I, yeah. You were doing C26 or whatever. <laughs> I was practicing for this episode. I, that's what I've been doing is singing C26. Sorry, guys. But <laughs> I, I very much enjoyed the acting in that scene. Everyone's, but specifically Ashley's. Yes, very good. Five points to her on that. Yeah. That scene gets us to, during the break, Abigail, Tally, and Rael are in the mess hall and abigail is angry tea sipping to soothe her throat and then spitting blood into the cup to just to like make a point for rael to make her feel guilty which she does you can see it in her face 
And Tally is just ignoring all of this and is excited about the pageant and is like, hey, you think we could do any any extra credit work to get ourselves some gold stars so we can go like clean latrines? And I'm like, gross. <laughs> Abigail is like, enjoy that. <laughs> Girl, Tally, calm down. So they're like, why do you want to go to this thing so bad? And Tally says, we haven't been off base. Hey, girl, I feel you. You you just want to go out in the world and enjoy yourself. I get that. I get that. But then we have Rail still looking guilty over there. And she offers to... Well, Tally's kind of encouraging her to, them to talk, I guess. And so Rail offers to heal Abigail's throat. And if you could see that, that Abigail is really not sure about this. She's like, I don't want your country shit on me. Or is that the line? Yeah, that's what she says. Yeah. Which rude, Abigail. Who taught you how to talk to people? <laughs> like, yeah, there's a reason that your throat hurts, but you don't have to be a bitch about it. Right? I mean, like, it's Rail's fault. Like, yes, I agree. Like, that's, that's a low blow. Like, don't strike at her identity like that. So finally she acquiesces and lets Rael try to heal her. But as soon as she starts, Abigail balks. And that just is the last straw for Rael. Because not only is this tension still going and Abigail won't even let her try to fix what she's done wrong. She sees Scylla out the window and does the gay lean to kind of try to follow her. With her eyes. Oh so speaking of who isn't subtle, the rail and her thirst. Rail and her thirst for Scylla. Not subtle at all. Everyone knows lesbian Jesus doesn't need to hide it. No, it's too powerful. So she goes to follow Scylla because she's just done with all of this conversation and Abigail's bitchiness. <laughs> and then Abigail's like, hey, make sure you're not late for training. So she follows Scylla and we get these shots of the Necros walking along and we get this shot of Rael following them from top. It's a really cool shot. And then we see Scylla who is walking along with her hand in her pocket, which there's a very good reason for that because yes, I was hoping you'd bring this up. as Amalia said, the hand in the pocket is kind of her way of making Scylla look cool like one of the guys from Greece. I love that that was her pull. It's so cute. That was exactly what she said to me. And I'm like, I know it's so cute. <laughs> it's so cute because she said that. And then I said, well, it totally works because it gives Scylla a fuck boy vibe. It does. And she cracked up at that. And I think it's true. She's to a total, like she has that total vibe. I know it's apparent very much later in the scene, like in another scene, that is exactly Scylla's energy. It's very fuckboyish. But I also love that she's the only one with that body language in the Necros. So, like, are you trying to be confident with the other Necros? Yeah, like, are you trying to top the other Necros? I don't yeah. know what's going right. on. Yeah, exactly. Which go for it. We go for it. it. I mean, we're we're here for it. We're here for it. Top whoever you want. But I just love that use of body language, mm -hmm. and once again, hearkening back to. Amalia's just great work as an yes, actor. Give her all the awards. She's all the awards. So it turns out that while uh, Rael is following Scylla, Abigail was following Rael. 
<laughs> so after the necros disappear and Rael's baffled, she turns around and finds Abigail behind her, who is like being the little unit mom, being like, you need to get back in time for training. I'm making sure you're not screwing this up for me, basically. Rael's not having it. So she uses some words that Scylla used, which gives us an idea of Scylla's influence on Rael, and calls her high and mighty. You know, a little important tidbit there for you. Yeah, and that, that's pretty much it. So basically, Abigail and Rail are watching each other for their own shenanigans. And from there, we cut over to the, the only goody-goody in the unit, which is Tally, who's on a payphone with her mom. So again, what time is it they're using payphones? And they're having this really sweet conversation where basically Tally, well, it starts off sweet and then it pivots, but... Tally's mom made her a battle charm and Tally really wasn't expecting her mom to do this. So, so to her, this is like a peace offering that mom's like supporting her in the military. And mom was like, yeah, I was surprised when I even made it. But obviously like you see the love between the two of them. And I kind of wanted to point out the little, the battle charm she gives her, it almost looks like a cross with two like pitchforks on opposite ends and like half moons on the other um, axis. And Bree pointed out it's an Icelandic symbol. So again, like pulling from paganism from like another part of the world. And it's a protection charm, basically. And uh, Mama Craven gives her the charm and then Tally starts just like gushing because she's like, oh my god, mom supports me. And she's like, oh, I love it here. Like my unit's great, which is a lie. They've been awful at this point. <laughs> but, but Tally's just so excited and gushing. And what a cover, Tally! I know. <laughs> Mama Craven doesn't know you're muted. Like, you don't need to lie. But uh, but I think she's just so overwhelmed with the support. She wasn't expecting that, like, all her emotions, like, come out. And Mama Craven starts getting uncomfortable at this because she still doesn't want her daughter in the army and pivots into a conversation about Glory, who's scared, Tally expresses, and Mama Craven's like, yeah, she should be, and so should you. Like, when are you coming home? And I think for Tally, this is like the reality check that while her mom gave her this battle charm because she wants her safe, she still doesn't really fully support her being in the army and this decision she made. So she gets really upset and, you know, Mama's like, when are you coming home? And Tally's like, I am home. And she hangs up the phone. But kudos to Jessica Sutton and her, her micro expressions in this scene because you can see it on Tally's face that there's this conflict where she she says, I'm home. And she says it very, like, firmly. but. You get the sense from her face that she doesn't fully believe that. She's trying to convince herself. Right. It's, it's almost like she's having doubts right now. Like, she seemed very confident about all of this in the first episode we saw, but now she's almost, like, doubting it because, like, her childhood friend is scared and her mom is still not fully on board. So I think Tally's kind of edging into, like, her own kind of co conflict about this of, like, did I make the right decision? Yeah. You know, it's again, it's a bittersweet conversation with mom, ultimately. Kelly does go on a little journey in this episode, which is super interesting. And I think it gets a little, uh, it falls back in the background a little bit, which is a, a shame. But we do see her go through this, this whole journey about how she feels about being in the army and the decision she made to come there. So really cool. And we're going to see more of that later. So that scene gets us into training where we're learning wind strike or uh, how to knock someone on their ass. Cause you see them do that a lot with wind strike. So you got Anacostia standing up by all these metal sheets that are 
standing on frameworks and she's got her clipboard and she's, you know, looking authoritative and all of the witches are in lines and they're throwing wind strike at these metal sheets. And each time they do, one of the assistants comes up and measures how deep their wind strike went into the metal. So we're getting a literal big witch energy measuring contest going on. And as they cycle through, we see our unit come up a couple of times and they're chit chatting about different things. Tally's telling them about the charm that her mom sent and rail and Abigail are still in argument mode. And they're ignoring Tally, so that makes Tally a little more aggro. And then we have that going on as they're going through the line a couple of times, and their wind strikes aren't that impressive. So then we hear Glory pipe up and talk about how when her cousin went through basic, they didn't learn wind strike until after Beltane. So that's where we get the sense that their edu- army education has been speeding, has been sped up from previous yeah. years. And Anacostia tells them that haven't you seen what's going on in the world? We need you trained like yesterday. Yeah, you, you get the sense this is all provoked by all the spree stuff. Exactly. Right and also, I love that she mentioned, basically, this is getting sped up. So this is why everyone's a bad spy, because they just left out espionage. Exactly. They didn't have espionage. <laughs> we left that out so that we, we, could, that we could get through everything faster. Yeah, wind strike is important. This is like the most common thing they use throughout the show. So we need to teach you this. Espionage, it's fine. You could be bad spies. That's Theor's theory, and we're going with it. Yeah, it's my hot take. <laughs> Why they're all bad spies. Her hot take on it, yeah. So, people are dying. We need you trained like yesterday. Also, we have less witches now. So, mm-hmm. totally. we need all of you post-haste. Uh, Tally's looking a little anxious about that. And um, that's when she really gets into her mom and the battle charm. And Raelle is not having that either because she's very sensitive about the mom topic. So she's like, can you guys like cool it on the mom talk? And then that's creates even more tension between all three of them and their intensity grows and grows with the background music as they're stepping up in line. And Anacostia is always watching. So she sees all of this and she says, use what you've got ladies the tension has built up to a point they're at the front of the line and they do their wind strike and it just blows through the metal sheet. And Acostia looks very satisfied and the girls look a little surprised, but also satisfied. And it's the best wind strike of the day. Therefore they're going to the pageant. Woo-hoo! But Abigail has to take this opportunity to rub it in to Libba that she's not going. Oh, yeah, no, I love this because the fact that they just did the wind strike that blows through the metal makes Abigail look like a bit like a good leader. But the only reason she was a good leader was because she pissed off her unit the whole freaking time. So I guess, Abigail, way to go. Uh, so we also get Tally introducing Rail and Abigail to Glory. So yay for Glory. And Abigail has like one of my favorite lines from the episode. 
when she says as she's walking away, onward to glory, glory. I don't know why that's so amusing to me, but it is. So I'm a lover of puns. It's such an Abigail thing to say. It's such a dad joke. It is a dad joke. Thank you, Abigail. But I want to point out one little cute thing about Glory. So I guess they named the units. I don't know how, I don't know if this was a conversation or they're just like, Anacostia named the units after like. I think it's I just mean, they They named, they, yeah, you're I, like, this I is think, your unit, that's it. Right, exactly. I think somebody else names them, but Glory's unit is named after her. Like her last name's Moffat and it's the Moffat unit. So I was like, oh, Glory, but because she was out there being like, oh, I'm not that powerful. I can't get the seeds, but they named the unit after her. So I thought that was cute. So she must be the most powerful one in her little unit or the most leaderly one in her little right. unit. Right, exactly. So I thought that was a good little tidbit about Glory. I love it. I Glory Moffat. Yeah. We appreciate you. We do. I love her a lot. More glory, please. All right. So that takes us over to the pageant. The The bus drops everyone off and they're all in their like blue fatigues or like fancy. Army. It's a dress uniform. Thank you. A dress. You know, you more than me. <laughs> okay. So there's like three classes. They follow, <laughs> they follow the same as army in our world. So it's, uh, they've got their battle uniform. They've got slightly fancier and then the fanciest, which is reserved for things like parades or being inspected, big deals. So we're in our class, what we would call class B's in the army, our army. So nice, but not super fancy. Got it. So yeah, they're in their nice blues. And I just wanted to note in this particular scene, they're wearing their fancy dog tags outside of their uniform which they don't normally do they normally keep it underneath their shirts but here everybody has them out on display so that becomes important in the scene with tally but interesting they did that mm-hmm. and so mama costia addresses them all is basically like uh be on your best behavior you're representing the army but also like go have fun it's every speech you got from a teacher when you were going on a field trip <laughs> right <laughs> no, it super is it's like you better not <laughs> I better not find you doing tor- terrible things. You're representing the school children. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then she releases them out into the pageant and they walk past this sign that essentially says no balloons, courtesy of the army. So, Scylla, you're famous in the worst possible way. Scylla's famous. <laughs> so, no more balloons. She ruined balloons. Mm hmm. Anyway, uh, after that, they go into the pageant and it's basically in this big giant field and you see like these little teepee tents that are like vendors selling candles and like. Sarah Alder action figures and... Give me one of those. <laughs> right. Tally bought two. Let's be real. And they basically walk through there and just like are having fun, not training and just like looking at merchandise. And Tally runs into this really cute little girl who's got this American flag and just looks genuinely excited to be at this pageant. And I think this scene, in this scene, basically Tally like gets on the girl's level and she seems very into like the witch army and Tally like appeases her. She lets her wear her medal and calls her a soldier. And her mom is like beaming and mouthing like, thank you. Like, so indicating that this whole thing means a lot to her little daughter who like basically idolizes the witch army. And I think what this scene is really trying to show us is like, this is Tally's like childhood dream. Like Tally is somebody who obviously idolized the army and because of where she grew up and how her mother was like, keep my daughter out of this. I get the sense that Tally, like, had to, like, kind of hide this part of her a lot. Like, she secretly wanted to be a part of this army that was all witches and a part of who she was, but she didn't have that opportunity. So this is Tally being able to, like, 
appease her own inner child through this little kid. It's reinforcing her decision. Yeah, no, it totally does. Because, you know, Tally, like, it almost like she like feels really good after this whole exchange happens. She's like, wow, I just made that little girl's day. I wish somebody could have done that for me. Like when I was younger. Exactly. So it's a very sweet moment. Yeah. It's, it's cute. So cute. Um, I die. She's, she's absolutely adorable. And then she goes off and joins her unit in glory. And they meet her throughout the pageant. Yeah. So we get Sarah Alder's origin story in this pageant, which is a very interesting and cool the production value of the pageant itself it looks like you're going to colonial williamsburg you've got all these actors and in, in the costumes and but at the same time then you've got to represent storms you've got these people with streamers running around yeah it's like a, it's like a stage play yeah yeah it's like a stage play you know part school kids stage play part okay we're at colonial williamsburg but we're getting sarah's story she's being hung for being a witch and then she sings her seed song releases it for the first time and she was never supposed to her family were the keepers of that seed song and she releases it into the world for better or for worse and that's why we're here today but wait hold on okay so the guy on the gallow with her is like trash talking sarah alder and they're like yeah we're gonna hang you and all this stuff shout out to the dumb bitch in the crowd that yells. Oh, yes, your favorite, your favorite person. <laughs> the dumb bitch in the crowd that yells, let the wretch have her say, because they were just going to hang her up until that point. And the guy in the gal is like, yeah, we'll give you some final words. And then Sarah Alder, with the choke thing out of her mouth, then sings like they didn't know the witch was going to sing. So shout out to that woman, because if she didn't say that, we wouldn't be here, because they would have just hung Sarah without her final words, so... Thanks, dumb bitch. Thank you. <laughs> well, uh, there's also some really interesting wording as w- when they're talking about the witches. She's been consorting with savages in the dark woods. Talking about, I'm like, I don't know, that sounds gay to me. So I'm on board. But Right, yeah, there's gay stuff happening. Now we got to hang you. <laughs> we've got these parallels with misogyny, otherness, witches, yeah. and racism, queer culture. Other thing, too, that they add in here that I find really interesting about Sarah Alder is he says something about her, like, you brought this to our shores, indicating that Sarah Alder's an immigrant, too. Like, she's not from America. She came from Europe or somewhere else and immigrated. So we also have, like, the immigrant component that makes her other, which I find really interesting about Sarah. Yes. All that is that is very interesting. I don't think I really thought about that, but yeah, it's it. She seems like yeah, she's like an American hero, but she's really an immigrant, mm-hmm, which is fascinating. Which, which is like everyone was an immigrant, really. Uh, totally, in, but like in, in their, her origin story, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah. interesting. Um, but they also speak about familiars, or he brings up familiars when he's telling everyone her crimes, and that's when we get an interesting tidbit about witches' marks because we've. We've learned about where Rael's witch's mark is. We've we've seen where Tally's is. We've flat out seen Abigail's. We've seen Abigail. But what is a witch's mark? So in a mythology sense, familiars would form a pact with a witch. And familiars would be uh, little domestic animals, rats, cats, those kinds of things. And that's why we get that association with witches. But those familiars would ask a price from the witch 
to help them with their malfeasance or with their work. And that price was blood. So the familiar would suck on the witch's body to get blood. And that's the, the mark left behind would be the witch's mark. And so there were actual witch trials where preachers and witch hunters would use any kind of birthmark on a woman as proof that they were a witch because that was their witch mark and they'd been consorting with familiars and carrying out malfeasance. So there's your little history tidbit on witches' marks. They were a real thing. The question is, were they shiny after sex and did they try to experiment that in the witch trials? We'll never know. We will never know. That's not in the records. (laughs) Not in the records. Not in the records. No, it's Puritan America. They're definitely not going to put that. Yeah, we're not talking about sex in Puritan America. No, witches don't have sex. (laughs) No one does. Anyway. Uh, But we also have some important things about Sarah Alder and her family. If you watch the After the Storm episode, they talk about how the Alders were stewards of a very ancient song that was never supposed to be sung. Uh, It's a forbidden song. And Sarah Alder immigrated to pre-America when she was young. Uh, She faced persecution, lost her sister. We've seen that in the pageant. She used her song to summon a storm like no one had ever seen before. And just as they were about to hang her, naturally the white man's reaction to this storm was, let's weaponize it. We're going to use it. So she makes her deal with the Massachusetts Bay Militia that... Witches will serve the serve in the army and protect America, and humans will leave them alone. So, yeah. like, was this the wrong thing to do? Should the song have died with her family? She changed the course of history with this. Yeah, and they get they get into this in like after the storm, and kind of in the next episode when we start seeing like witches from other parts of the world. But there are some. Like, there's some people, mostly witches, who think this, the song should have died with Sarah. So, like, Sarah's family basically were the stewards guarding this song. Like, they never sung it until Sarah was in this position where she's like, I have nothing left. And she was the last one at that point. Right. It's is a Hail Mary, uh, basically, situation. And so some people think she should have just let that die. And, like, we would have had America the way we had it today if she hadn't done that, but... Again, one action changed the world. So some people think it was a good thing she did that. The positive is she did create a place for witches amongst humans. We see that they don't always view them as equal, like when we saw President Wade, but she created a, a, a place for them. They, they can serve in the military and be useful as Americans. but And not just in America, all over the world. Yeah, and then it spreads throughout the world, we see later, but... You know, but then there's other people who think that, you know, by doing this, you literally changed history and you, you shouldn't have, so... You know, again, moral gray. It's fun, but that's Sarah Alder for you. Sarah Alder and the moral gray. Sounds like a band. Sounds like a Harry Potter novel. <laughs> oh, it does! No, our first one is Murder at the Ball, and then we have Sarah Sarah Alder and the moral gray. And we're, like, writing Nancy Drew mysteries over yeah, here. We are! Oh, God. I'm so proud of us. We're so creative. Yeah, if anyone wants to write us that fan fiction, please send it to Let's us. Let's do it. Do yeah. it. Alrighty. Any more thoughts on Sarah Alder and the, and the moral gray? No, she's hella cool. That's all I got. Yes. Kudos to Sarah Alder. I'm on board with what she did. I would have made the decision too, honestly. Like, fuck it. You just, my sister's corpse is hanging next to me. You've killed my, like, my family's gone. Right. And whatever. This is what you get. This is what you get. 
totally. So, good on you. But during the scene, we see, like, the unit kind of in the crowd. Like, Tally's, like, eating this up because, you know, it's Tally. But Abigail is the one that fucks off in the middle of this pageant. And she goes over to a pizza parlor because... I guess the food this sucks. This is one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> I know, I love the scene. So but, much big witch energy. Yes, this is another big witch energy off, but it's like a mini one, but, you know, I'll take it. Well, it involves Scylla, so. Well, that's after. Initially, it's just Rael and yeah, Abigail. Yeah. So, True. yeah. Damn it. <laughs> Spoiler. So Abigail goes into the pizza parlor, gets in the queue, and Rael essentially is like, yeah, I was tailing you. How does that feel? So they have this conversation where Rael's basically like, you know, keep out of my life, I'll keep out of yours kind of thing. And Abigail's like, yeah, cool, whatever. Let's get food because this is a pizza parlor. That's why I'm here. And then they get into this conversation about basically like human life versus witch life where Abigail looks into the crowd and is like, look at these people. Like, what do they even have to live for? Because again, Abigail's entire life is just the army being in this army culture with cavaliers and all this stuff. So she can't even fathom what life outside of the army is even like. And Rael, who grew up in the session with a father who isn't a witch, kind of knows what that life is like. So Rael projects her own feelings about everything onto Abigail, where she's like, "Um, their life seems pretty good. They can have mortgages, get married. Like, sounds like freedom, because this is what Rael wants. She's planning her wedding with Silla right now. That's what. And Abigail's like, she flips it around and is basically like, they have to pay taxes. They'll have terrible sex lives. Like, no, thank you. Humans can have that life. I'd rather go out of blaze of glory. And then they just walk off together to go like, enjoy the pizza. But I totally love this conversation they're having at the front of the queue by like the customer service person in the pizza parlor. Like, cause everyone Abigail, can hear you guys. Everyone can, they're not being quiet. Everyone can hear them. And Abigail's subtle like, is not a witch's word. No. Yeah, I guess witches just aren't subtle. But Abigail's like basically saying all this stuff about how their lives suck. And this poor customer service person is like, yeah, I'm out here living this life. Thanks. Take your pizza. Get the hell away from me. I'm working for, probably working for minimum wage to give you this pizza and you're just over here dissing my life. Right! They don't pay her enough to listen to this nonsense. So (laughs) I thought that was really funny and like a total real life customer service moment where you're like, please get away from me. From there we go to the war room where the general and her officers are convening around this King Arthur style table with a pentagram on it, which I thought was really cool and I want it in my house. We have General Clary again talking to alder and saying that her daughter is right outside and they link up communication with this squad that's general clary's daughter is in and we have these soldiers going into an empty room where they think the spree cell is holed up but instead there's nothing there but a bottle hanging from the ceiling the bottle explodes because we know from the scene in the mall that they can contain seed sounds in air and the bottle contained air. Therefore, when it broke, it released a seed sound that made all of the soldiers kill themselves. And well, they like, they actually almost turn into zombies and like, attack, they do. They attack Clary's daughter because you see them yes. like, at her. So it's not like suicide. They're killing each other, which is a little different than the mall attack. It is, it is different than the mall attack, yeah. very much so. So whatever this has done to them mentally, yeah. they're attacking their leader and attacking essentially each other. And you see this pool of blood at the end of that particular 
part in the scene and it just paints a very vivid picture of what just happened and the gravity of it and that general clary had to witness that like her yeah kudos to that actress she does a phenomenal job before we get to clary though i do want to point out the camera work in this particular scene because this show does a lot of like very still shots but mm-hmm. in this scene, they do a steady cam. So that's where, like, the camera operator basically is wearing the camera on these, like, shock things. And it gives you this feel that you're in the moment with them. So it's almost like General Clary's daughter is the camera operator. Because you follow, like, in in through, like, they weave through wherever they are. And it's very, like, you see a lot of motion in the shot. So it's like, you are General Clary's daughter in this moment. So shout out to the camera. Really it, cool. It makes you really feel like you're in the scene cinematography is just a really cool thing in general but that you're right that shot is it puts you in that moment of uh panic yeah it's dynamic and it's supposed to make you feel that so yeah exactly you feel you feel the panic that general clary's daughter would have felt in that situation and we also have at the end of this we see general alder in the knowledge that this is not going to do her any favors with the president and the ultimatum that was given to her and it's also just a very sad experience in general she's lost more troops lost more daughters so it's a twofold disappointment yeah and and shout out to like general alder's angry face in this whole scene when it starts because wow i'm scared of those jaw muscles oh her jawline is like so sharp it could cut you it's its own weapon but i do love in this scene that you see general alder while this is a mission and she is the head of the military and like you know takes that part seriously you also see like this affects her personally like she looks genuinely sad at the end of this too so again kind of calling back to like the president wade conversation that you see that this isn't just like a job to sarah it's her life it's personal yeah it's personal and she takes the loss of her the witches, like her sisters, daughters, whatever, personally. So I like that touch. It humanizes Alder, basically. Yes. She's both sad and mad. She's smad. She's, she's smad. Yeah, totally. She's totally <laughs> smad. Nice Gilmore Girls pull. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Thank you for knowing what that's from. Dude, my dog is named Suki after Melissa's uh, character. I love that show. Love They're it. being terrible right now. Yeah. Stop it. She just wants attention. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, don't we all? We do. But, uh, Anyway, so we, speaking of Sarah and her amazingness, we cut on over to the pageant where we get flashback Sarah Alder in her fly-ass colonial attire. Mm. She has a cape. She has a cape. Hot. It's, it's everything. Elliot, more of this, please. More flashback Sarah Alder, please. Um, and she's signing the Salem Accord Surrounded, of course, by like a bunch of white dudes, because that's history. It was the 1600s. I mean, it's still true. <laughs> and, uh, listen, in this world, President Wade is president. So I choose to ignore that. Okay, we'll, we'll ignore it. Uh, so, yeah, she's signing the Salem Accord, which, again, is the binding contract that forces witches into conscription. Tally and Glory are just like clinging to, to each other and like swooning over this about the beauty and the sacrifice and how Sarah like had to watch her own sister die. And so painting the picture that Sarah is more complex than some people point her out to be 300 years later. And as they're kind of like walking away from the pageant, some dude like bumps into them and is like panicking. And they're like, huh, weird. And so they hold on to this weirdness feeling and they go into the pizza parlor where Abigail and Rael are bonding. 
What so the hell? Right. So they're like, notice anything weird? And Rael's like, well, Abigail's being a human. So yeah, that's pretty weird. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It is. But things get weirder when Scylla shows up. And this scene is another big witch energy measuring contest that happens between Scylla and Abigail. I love it so much. It's so good. So Scylla walks in radiating fuckboy energy and comes up to Rael, who clearly was not expecting Scylla to be here, and is like, uh, what are you doing here? Um, and so Scylla draws Rael in with her eyes. She's like, look at me. Look at me. Let's go. Let's get out of here. Um, I came to see you, obviously. So question, though, about this. So Scylla is a second year. So she's not in basic. What is she doing at this pageant? Like, did the second years also have to do a contest? Like, the second year Necros was Isadora, like, Again, this is a new segment that we'll put in of what was Isadora doing off screen. So I think Isadora had them do like a necro contest. She's like, whoever can revive the best dead stuff can go to the pageant or whatever. I don't know. Let's see some experiments, lady. Whoever prunes my mushrooms the best. Right. Well, obviously Scylla won because she's the best in her class as she humble bragged when she was uh, Helen Graves. Yes, she did. So I believe that, that she would have won whatever necro contest. Oh, absolutely. Especially if it involved the fact that she could go see Raelle and kind of fix the thing that's going on. Yeah, their little fight that's happening. Yeah, no, totally. So She would have cheated to get there, honestly. She doesn't need to cheat. She's so powerful. She's just like, I can do this in my sleep. <laughs> it's the truth, though. She's so powerful, and you don't really... That's what I love about Scylla is, like, you don't get... Like, she knows it, but she doesn't need to talk about it like Abigail does. No, she is so modest for somebody who's so powerful, whereas Abigail's always bragging about herself. Like, I think, whatever. But Scylla never brags, which is why I found the Helen Graves thing weird where she's like, Scylla's top of her class and she's really powerful because, like, Scylla never says that about herself. So, interesting. But, um, anyway, so Scylla wins the, the necro off and gets to go to the pageant. She shows up to get Raelle alone so they can talk, basically. And... The unit is basically like, ooh, who is this? And so Rail's like, this is Scylla. Ooh, Rail's obviously like super into this girl. Yes. And I guess she's mentioned Scylla because Abigail's like, oh, this is Necro, like indicating Rail has talked about her. And Scylla just like pivots and turns on the big witch energy. And she's like, oh, hi, Atlantic, indicating, oh, Rail talks shit about you too, kind of to her. It's like, listen, you don't own Rail. I do. I do. (laughs) I do. So then she draws (laughs) Rail in again with her eyes and she's like, come on, let's go. And Rail's like, yep, we're going to leave. Bye. And so they basically leave. I just want to talk a little bit about the end of the scene before we go into the scene that Brie has aptly named it. It's the scene. Before we go there, the unit, well, the rest of the unit, Abigail, Tally, and Glory are basically like, okay, um, what the hell was that? Glory's like, oh, she's really pretty. And Abigail has the audacity to say in a macabre kind of way, which, Abigail, She's really pretty, period. She's beautiful in the dictionary definition of the word. What do you, and also like, what does that mean? Because they're wearing the same clothes. Like, how did she look macabre? That doesn't make sense. Just because she's a necro doesn't mean that right, she like, looks any different than you guys. She doesn't. Do you have eyes? Have you seen her eyes? Right. She's beautiful in the de- definition of the word. So, okay, Abigail. Abigail's just salty that Scylla won the big witch energy. 
measuring contest that they were having. She still has more piglet energy than she does. She has the most, and that's how the, the podcast got its name, because of Solar Bransworth. Not that we're biased. No, well, we are, but I don't care. She is, though, undoubtedly. And we will be proving that throughout this podcast. She's she's the most powerful witch in this whole show. The other thing they say is, they're like, well, what kind of name is Scylla? And Tally says, I think it's Greek. And as somebody with a very Greek name, I also, that was one of the first things I noticed about Scylla. I'm like, that's a very Greek name, which is odd. So I just wanted to talk very quickly about their names, because I think Again, Elliot spent decades creating the show, and I think the names are very indicative of the characters based on what they mean. So we'll start with Scylla. So Scylla is a Greek name from a mythology perspective. It was named after um, the sea monster that originally was a nymph. So like beautiful woman in the woods that was poisoned by the gods into this monster. And so that's kind of Scylla, right? Scylla was this innocent girl that was quote-unquote poisoned by the spree into being a monster that like murders them all. Correct me, somebody, if I am, but in mythology, Scylla was the daughter of Hecate, who is like the goddess of witchcraft. That I don't know. That just occurred to me. I'd have to check that, but I'm pretty sure that that's right. Hit us up if that is indeed correct. That was what's relevant, apparently, to the name Scylla. So then the unit... I find very interesting that Tally, Abigail, Rael, the origins of all three of those names are all from Hebrew. So they all have the same origin, which is interesting. Tally's name, the literal translation of the name Tally in Hebrew is do from heaven, or like a figurative translation of that is like blessing or clarity, because spoiler, Tally's a seer. So that's who Tally is. The girl knows. She knows and sees. Abigail literally translates in Hebrew into like father's joy or father of exaltation is like the Christian translation. And so the figurative translation of that is wisdom. So she's like the wise one, I guess. I question this. I will get tie this all in very much later with these three, but for now I just wanted to bring this up. And Rael, very interesting because we're going to transition to the scene. I wanted to bring up Rael's name. Her name literally translates into soldier of the Lord. Or if you break up the name Rael, so Ray meaning sun, and then Ellie also means she. So like she is the sun because lesbian Jesus and she's a sun goddess. She's a sun god. But the figurative translation of her name is chosen one. Oh, hell. Uh Which comes up much later with Rael. But yes. So I find their names very fascinating. And I, I, you know, I'll get into the mythology of, like, the unit later, but very interesting, their names. It tells a lot about who the character is, and I very much believe Ellie did that on purpose. I love that you figured that out. I love that you looked that up. I love it. Elliot leaves no stone unturned. Everything is in the show on purpose. You damn genius. Yes. And so with the understanding of their names, we're now going to focus on the scene between Rael and Scylla. There's a lot in this scene, first of all. There's a lot of symbolism and there's a lot of mythology in here. So I'm going to set up a bunch of stuff about the scene and then tie it together at the end. But very briefly, what happens is Scylla lures Rael out into a graveyard. You make it sound like she's going to kill her. Right. Okay, first time I watched this, I was like, is this a Mary Shelley poll where they're going to like fuck in a graveyard? Like, what is this? Oh my God, uh, that would have been something else right there. Right, I'm like, that girl is Mary Shelley, like, what are we doing? <laughs> but um, that's not what happens. What happens is she 
it basically has an honest moment with, with Rhea where she tries to show her some of her necromagic and kind of like get on her level about like revealing things and life and death. Yeah, they get in a life and death conversation. Because again, I think that's something they can, like we mentioned earlier, that the two of them can connect to because they both lost, you know, Scylla lost both of her parents, Rhea lost her mom. And that's a big thing that defines the two of them. So I think Scylla's trying to relate with her here. And so she has a very honest conversation with Rael, who can tell because Rael's mad that Scylla wasn't being honest. And so she kind of opens up here and explains that opening up is difficult for her. And Rael's like, I get that. And then they have this beautiful moment together in the woods. And that's basically this whole scene. You are so beautiful. That's the line I remember. Just the way, the reverent way in which uh, Taylor said it. Totally. And we'll get into why that's all very important. So again, I'm just going to set up a bunch of stuff about the scene. If you look at this, so up till now, we've talked a lot about the yellow sun that follows rail everywhere. This scene is very much laced in blues. So it's nighttime, granted, but also like the moon's not very noticeable. It's very blue. Not only are they wearing blue, but like it's very a dark scene and they're in a graveyard. So it's almost like Scylla is leading Rael, Scylla being the Necro, is leading Rael into like the underworld, right? Like her territory. So she's letting someone into her world. That's what's happening here while they go and have this honest conversation in a minute. So it's meaningful to Scylla that she's doing this and Rael is willingly going with her. Then what happens is Scylla is looking for something reasonably dead. So they find a dead bird and Scylla basically kneels down and does this work that becomes important forever where she summons a death cap and explains they talk about the circle of life in this scene um and she explains that most people essentially equate life and death as these opposing forces but if you think about it in this context she's talking about it as like the circle of life so a circle is too it's infinite there is no beginning there is no end indicating that life and death are connected and if you think about Rael and Scylla, you know, Scylla is a necro, so the harnesser of death. And then you have Rael, the fixer, the giver of life. Like, they are life and death, right? And so they are not opposing. They're actually part of this big circle, and they form something together. So she says death is more complicated than people think it is. Like, you know, life is born from death, and like, over and over. So these two are connected on a level that goes, like, beyond anything. It's like they are spiritually kind of connected to each other based on their magic. And that's where we're going to get into the mythology of all of this. And so I think that Elliot pulled from a certain aspect of mythology when he wrote this, and he dry snitches in season two that this is kind of what he was doing. And so for the mythology aspect, it's a Celtic myth where it's about a king called Dagda, and he's the god of life. So this is Rael, and his wife, the Morrigan or the goddess of death, which is Scylla. And so in this myth where they first meet, Dogda is in the woods and he comes across the Morrigan. And the Morrigan is described as this woman with pale skin and raven-colored hair, so it looks exactly like Scylla. And when he stumbles upon her, she's like in a river and she's bathing. And there's this, this interpretation by Stephanie Woodfield that I really love that sounds a lot like this scene where he finds her, Dagda meaning Rael, and she's singing softly, and the song strikes him as this very somber, joyful song that's filled with pain and the ecstasy that was life. And that's the death cap song she's doing. And when it's over, per this translation, like Dagda laughs to himself, perhaps it seemed odd that the goddess of life 
or the god of life and the goddess of death should make such like a passionate union together because like they become married in a minute and he says like the borrigan may bring death but dogda knew her true gift was rebirth and that's what Scylla was talking about when she's saying life comes from death so it's ties into this whole mythology of like god of life god of death and so i think that's kind of what he was doing in this scene makes me wonder if the inspiration for Scylla, because we know she wasn't in the original uh, iteration of his idea for this story, if that came from him coming across that myth, yeah. which would be really interesting. But it's freaking fascinating, and I am in love with that. Oh, I think he definitely was inspired, because we'll get into this a lot later. There's more to the Morgan than just, like, the woman that is supposed to be Scylla is basically like a physical manifestation of her, but she's actually like the triple goddess, which I think is the unit. So he definitely had this in mind with them for sure. I love it. It's amazing. I don't even have words. It's amazing. Yeah. Last piece about this though, before we conclude the scene after Scylla basically gives the speech to Rael about, uh, I know death is a touchy subject for you, but she's trying to like connect with Rael and like comfort her at the same time. And Rael is basically like, no, I get it. Thank you. Basically take your time on opening up. Like I get that that's hard. And when Rael gives the line, like you're so beautiful, she touches Scylla's face. And this is after Scylla did the death cap. So like the death cap specs are like in the air. And when Rael touches her face, you see these yellow glowing specks in the blue. And Again, that's Rael's light. So my interpretation for this is that this is Scylla letting Rael kind of like make a permanent mark in her world. And so this is Scylla like physically and symbolically like letting Rael in, which she just said is something she doesn't do. Um, so it's a very significant scene for them on so many levels. And Scylla clearly was not like expecting this from Rael. So I think that the spec thing is like this emotional response. Like she's not consciously controlling this, you know, the way when they get emotional, their magic just comes out. That's what's happening here. Like this is an honest moment for Scylla and something I think she needed to hear that Rael tells her. So I think it's the first step in Scylla's feelings actually permeating any part of her consciousness. Like she's developing real feelings for this person. Yeah, no, that's exactly what this is. This is an honest moment for Scylla. Like, she's kind of in this moment. Yeah, and not being like a, a double agent. It's so beautiful. And it's such a, a little scene that you may not get all of that from if you aren't really paying attention. So. Yeah. It's the scene. That's how it's got the its name. Scene. The we scene. We love it. Love it. It's beautiful. Like, I don't even know, like, what's the... Let's not even do the rest of the episode. We'll just stop it there. The scene just overshadows. No. I'm just kidding. We're going to go back to the pizza parlor where Tally has a little bit of an incident, shall we say, because panic has ensued. That weird thing that was happening that Tally and Glory could not figure out is actually the fact that someone's seen a balloon so we remember the sign that said no balloons but someone has brought a balloon don't know what's going on is the spree attacking all of the civilians in the pizza parlor are getting a little 
scared and worried about this and Tally's trying to calm one particular guy down and he's not having that and he starts going off on Tally and she ends up wind striking him which is a big no-no you can't use your work like that in public against civilians so another moment for Tally where she's just facing the reality of being in the army and seeing these people that don't appreciate their service. So she's got the two sides with this pageant. She had the little girl that reinforces her kind of childhood fantasies about being in the army. And now we've got this other person who is throwing hate at her and her response is very visceral and that she physically strikes him down. I agree with everything you're saying. And Tally seems really surprised by this, like her own response. And in the After the Storm, like Jessica talks about it, she's, she does state that. Like Tally is surprised by the response she gets from this dude. And then in this stressful position where she's just trying her best to like be the negotiator, she just gets all this fury that comes out of her. And Tally's very surprised by that aspect of herself. She's like, she didn't realize she had all this fury bottled up and just it comes out in the wind strike. So very cool. I like seeing Angry Tally. I love Angry Tally. She is just putting her foot down. And yeah, when she gets pushed to that point, you can see that Tally can be just as... Uh, I don't want to say vicious, but Tally can be just as martial as abigail can she's no less powerful she's just a person that goes to negotiation first until she's pushed to that point yeah i feel like a lot of what's happening in this episode for multiple characters is people being pushed to their limits Mm -hmm. telly definitely included absolutely Speaking of people being pushed past their limits, from this scene, we go over back to the war, the war room, where Alder is essentially lamenting about the loss of daughters today, and General Clary pipes in, like, um, girl, I actually lost my daughter today, how dare you? And they transition to this conversation that parallels what happened with General Wade at the beginning of the episode, where Clary, in this conversation, is pointing out, well, the spree is still besting us. should we not get more extreme with what we're doing? Like we're losing. And that's kind of what President Wade was getting at. She's like, your methods aren't working. We should be doing something else more extreme because all these groups of people are being pushed to their limits. And it kind of, to me, shows like why the spree even exists because you're getting to a point in this world where people are, people are over what's happening and they want to be extreme. Like when you push people past their limits, they'll do extreme things like Sarah Alder unleashed the storm that changed the world and all that stuff. So that's what's happening in this conversation. And at the end, what makes this scene different than the the president Wade scene is that both Sarah Alder and Clary are emotionally invested in the witches where they're upset that these women just died, particularly Clary who lost her actual daughter. But you see Sarah Alder actually get very furious in this scene where she's like, we're going to get the spree for doing this to us. Like I'm taking this personally, which was different from the Wade scene where they were, it's very much like facades and political and not emotional, even though like Sarah was clearly pissed. So you kind of see that Sarah is different when she's with the witches with her unleashing her emotions. 
Anyway, so we get to see Sarah's amusing jaw muscles again, and then Clary leaves. And this is one of my favorite scenes when Clary's walking away. You just really see this this woman in this scene grappling with the fact that she just lost her daughter. And she's also, like, literally soldiering on when she's walking. And you can see her try to, like, fight the emotional response to be sad and just be a soldier and grit through it. But it humanizes the witches in this moment because you see that they're people too they're not just these machines they're not just these weapons of war like they're people who have daughters who are also become weapons of war but like they love their daughters and this reality of them losing their kin in battle is personal to them whereas like you know the the other humans don't really see that they just see them as weapons and so it's very heartbreaking this moment and the actress that played Clary did such a great job and it's it's very sad like but I think it's important that Elliot humanized them in this moment like and Elliot even said like even though there's a place for witches in this world it's and it's secure and identifiable in the military they're still viewed as these others and so the humanity gets stripped away from them in the eyes of like non-witches but in this scene you see they're still people you know with feelings and love at the at the end of the day humans they're they're humans is what just like anyone else but as far as civilians go if you're not personally feeling connected to the consequences of war you're not going to be able to empathize and care as much about those consequences so these witches dying for the good of the country quote unquote doesn't impact civilians like it does the witches and then you have all of these spree attacks which are impacting civilians with these consequences and who's delivering these attacks on civilians witches so it's obviously going to shift the balance for civilians to see witches even more as something disconnected from the civilian population Yeah. And I think all of that that you just said is the social commentary aspect of the show, because is that not the truth? The majority doesn't care about the minority or the other unless whatever the issue is, is affecting the majority. And that's what this is. And that's why like they're so aggro about the spree, because like you said, the spree is targeting non-witches. So now the non-witches have a reason to give a shit about all the stuff the witches are fighting. Because they're like, well, this is affecting us now, so you guys better get your shit together. Yeah, like, you're supposed to deal with your people. Come get your friends. Yeah, and meanwhile, Sarah Alder's like, I've been doing these for 300 years. Like, like where have you guys been that right, entire where, time? Where's the support been? The whole, you know, so you've been using us, and now suddenly you give a shit about what we're doing. And exactly. That's, that's how reality works, unfortunately. It's so, how yeah. humans work. So... Here we are, human nature, our own worst enemies. Yeah, so I love that, grounding it in reality. Elliot does that very well. Thank you, Elliot. Thank you. All right, so in the next scene, I like, I like to call this scene the I love you, man, or Tally's drunk, y'all, because <laughs> we're back yes. in Cersei Barracks, and everyone's had a little bit to drink. Tally, probably an entire bottle of whatever they have. They're recounting what happened when Tally windstruck that civilian and Glory gets her little moment of just (laughs) Glory gets her moment to tell everyone the story. And since Libba wasn't there, she she's like, wait, what you windstruck him? How'd you get away from get away with this? 
and apparently Abigail covered for her and which is, you know, I think that also solidifies them as a unit as well. Like they're, they're really bonding in this episode. So that's a cool little tidbit. And we've got, um, Rael doing a really funny imitation of Anacostia walking in and being like, I heard someone through when at a civilian and like her best deep, I am an authority voice. And I loved that. And I really he feel like, hair up too. I love it. <laughs> so good. And I really want to know if that was just, if that was in the script or if that was Taylor, because I could see Taylor doing that and I could see her adding a little bit to that. So that's so good. Everyone laughs and, and Tally, who's the drunkest, she's rolling around on the floor for a second and she thanks Abigail. And then the subject matter changes because Abigail is like, so it was nice to meet your girlfriend, Rael. Like she's just teasing her a little bit. And of course, Tally just takes that and runs with it. And Rael's like blushing and is like, no, don't talk about it. And Tally's saying, so we're calling her your girlfriend now. It's official. It is. (laughs) And Tally says, I really like her. Which I love. Talia's so cute and supportive. I love it. I also love that Talia's like, I really like her based off that big witch energy off she had with Abigail. <laughs> that was the only interaction they had. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you, you put Abigail in her place. I like it. I think also Tally just sensed the energy and she likes that. Yeah, but also she, likes she just wants to be happy for Rael. And yeah, totally. She, no. totally. but you know i have a few questions uh about this scene because there are these people just standing around in the background awkwardly like who are you people are you just like chilling no also they cut out into the hall at the end of the scene and there's just people partying everywhere i was like what is this party like yeah i get why why tally and them are celebrating because tally just windstruck a dude but like who are the rest of these people? What are they celebrating? Are they just celebrating because it's a night of the like the pageant and history I guess, and whatnot? But like not everybody went to the pageant. Yeah. So like, what so, are they celebrating? I don't know. Whatever. But it's other cool. thing other thing I totally love, again, like alternate universe America. Apparently solo cups still exist. Solo cups still exist, you guys. Alternate yeah. we still have them. We still but have we don't them. have Even, modern televisions. No, we have the first television ever, but we have solo cups. In multiple sizes, because Rael has, like, the shot glass version. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> love that. Love it. But this is also the scene where we get our title from. Yeah, it's called the title. Yes, Tally. because Tally goes into this little speech where she's like, I totally made the right decision to be here. You guys are the best. You're my witches. Uh-huh. And so she's toasting everyone. She makes them join her in the toast, and they all kind of reluctantly do. But it's a really cute moment, and we see that Tally now has accepted that, yes, she made the right decision. She's here to stay. Yeah, she found her place and found her people, and that was really confirmed when, like, Abigail finally had her back instead of bailing. And, yeah, it's a good full circle moment for Tally. I feel like this is a very Tally-centric kind of of episode where she has a good arc, so... I love it. It is. It just gets a little bit in the background because of the other things that happen. Totally. But uh, I love yeah, it. That, that's that scene. I love it. 
And from there we go to the last scene, which again, good on you, Scylla, for getting the ending scene in two episodes in a row. So dun, dun, dun. I actually really love this because the, the way the camera works is it goes from Cersei Barracks all the way to the Necro Barracks, which is literally on the edge of Fort Salem. Like it's really far away. So like Braille has to really trek to get there. So let's be Jesus. That's how committed she is. But we go into Scylla's room and Scylla's standing in front of a balloon in her normal face this time. And, and she basically has this conversation with the balloon. So we learn that the spree can communicate through the balloons and the mirrors. And she's basically saying, yep, I got Rael. When the hell are we getting extracted? So letting us know that the spree is after Rael and they're trying to extract her from the army. And Scylla has the audacity to be like, uh, hurry up because I'm impatient. And I'm catching feels here. So yeah, she's definitely catching feels. She's trying to get the hell out of there. And the balloon's like, uh-huh, well, come closer to the glass. And then it, like, shatters the glass and scares Scylla. So showing us that, like, the spree, there's uh, intimidation, I guess, is part of what they're doing. They mean business, man. They mean business. But also, Scylla's being a little shit by saying that. Yeah. So she, and she kind of deserves it. <laughs> but, I kind of uh, anyway. love it. And also Amalia's face. Yeah. It was a very surprising moment. And the, the, the show just ends. Like, the episode ends after that. So, yeah. I, I kind of love that about her. Yeah, Scylla gets to book bookend. So Scylla gets to bookend. I love it. It gives you a sense of <sighs> Scylla's not in charge of this mission. No, not at all. So she's there and she's doing it in her own way, but she's not calling the shots. And she's a minion. A minion, and she's got people above her, and we have no idea who they are, and they hold power over her as well. Over her life. So, uh-huh. I mean, they can they can mess her up if they want to. Totally. In the After the Storm about that, Amalia talks a little bit about Scylla and the Spree. And she talks about how, you know, sh- she was not, like, pulled into the Spree, but more, like, pushed towards them. So Scylla was kind of in the headspace of wanting revolution to happen. And she wanted to make change. So like the spree seemed like this very, like an opportunity for her because they were the only group that's really organized and resisting all the suppression that's happening because of like the Salem Accord and things like that. And she was in the headspace of like, well, let's reconsider the system. And so that's what the spree is doing. But you see that they're doing it in a very extreme way. And because they're being extreme, it's pushing others towards the extreme. Like, the humans are like, let's get a human army to get involved. And, you know, the witches that are having their daughters lost by the spree are like, let's get more extreme. So it's having this very, like, polarizing reaction amongst everybody in this world. But at the heart of it, they're, they're trying to change what's happening. It's really what's happening. But it's very extreme. And at the and- time that Scylla goes into the spree she was in a very vulnerable place yeah and she, it, it was a place the army exactly it was a place to put her anger about all of that and to to have an actionable thing to do right. to fight that oppression yeah and also like what's cool about this scene is you get the because you get the confirmation that the spree wants rael the question is why why and, you know, we pointed out a lot in the last episode that Raelle is in the kind of a similar headspace where she's not on board with the army, really. And so, again, she's very similar to Scylla in a lot of ways. And so you think that maybe they're targeting her because she seems like somebody who would want, if, if she could act against the system and change it, 
she would because she's not on board with it. So potentially that's what's happening here. And so it's like the way to get Rail out of the army. So, uh, you know, she didn't have to like seduce her. She could have, you know, just made friends, but no. No. So I, that's why I love that her, her, the way she chooses to do this, she's like, I'll just sleep with her. <laughs> Oh, I mean, it worked. She's right. Just I mean, sleep with her. She's hot. Yeah. She's gay. Let's go. She's like, why not? Let's do this. So uh, that backfires, girl. Yeah, <laughs> anyway. you, you you got yourself in a mess of trouble because you're going to fall in love. Uh, she, yeah, spoiler. She caught some feelings. So yeah, that was that was episode two. What did you think of episode two? I freaking love it because there, there are so many reasons. There's so many things going on in every single one of these episodes because we had Absolutely. Tally's arc. We had Abigail's arc with... Uh, finding out more about her background and um why is her name slipping me libba her her background Maybe with libba. rivalry with libba <laughs> guys so tension there was so much tension oh, between so much them tension. So good. forget about the cavalier just y'all go make out in a bathroom no, it wasn't about the man yeah <laughs> she said that so we had scylla opening up we had them having conflict for the first time which we've only had two episodes, so we're right on course for lesbian relationship slash queer relationship. Yeah, that'll be married in a week. <laughs> and it's just overall, we got the scene. The scene. It's beautiful. That scene is so beautiful, both visually and in its content. Uh-huh. So, and even yeah. even more deep than you expect it to be. Yeah, their relationship is astrological. Yes. Yeah, to kind of recap a little bit, too, we also get introduced to the President of the United States, so President Wade. And President we see Wade. President Wade. And so we do see that Alder has a superior, but there's friction between Alder being the leader of the witch army and the, you know, country being run by a non-witch. And, you know, that's not always super smooth. Um, and while that could dehumanize them in a sense, like being politicians and Sarah having to be political, that at the end of the day, she does care about the witches and she is still a human and all the witches are, even though the humans in this world tend to view the witches as other and almost dehumanize them as these tools of war. So we get a lot of that in this episode too. Yes. Which is a, a fascinating, so. Yeah. And lastly, we see that uh, the spree is targeting rail. Yes. Very yeah. important point. Very important point. And that's Which, episode two, really. Episode two. Episode my two. witches. My witches. So, three. Who do you award the biggest witch energy award for episode two? There's so many people who deserve it in this there episode. So are. many people. This one's hard. It was really hard, but I wanted to go for the people that manifested the most big witch energy in physical form. So I'm giving it to the unit as a whole for sending a hurricane through a sheet of metal. Yeah. I loved that dynamic of them bonding through their tension in a way and coming together to create something more powerful than any one of them separately. Yeah, power of three. The power of three. Now we're back in Charmed. I know. <laughs> Talk about the two, early 2000s right there. Yeah. We need yours. Let's go. Yeah. So I will give it to Scylla Ramsorn, who Ooh. 
Again, that's how the, the podcast got its name. And reason is, she gets Biggest Witch Energy Award, because right from the beginning, it's the top-tier flirting, the Big Witch Energy Measuring Contest with Abigail that she totally won, and then at the end, like, misguidedly ordering the spree handler in the balloon to extract her because she's impatient. Like, so, Girl! <laughs> so much Big Witch Energy. She just radiates it the whole time. She does. That hand in the pocket. The hand in the pocket, the her literally like summoning rail with just her eyes. Like mm-hmm. she just radiates at this episode. She gets minor point deductions for being a terrible spy on more than one occasion, but you know, Jeez. overall, she's got big witch energy. Can we we need to give an honorable mention to President Wade, even though she's yes, not a no, witch. wholeheartedly. If she was a witch, I would have given it to her for her whole thing with Alder, but she can't get it because she's a human. But oh my god, she has big witch energy. She ain't afraid to show it. I agree. But yeah, yeah, that was, that was, those are our choices. And you guys should tell us your choices for who had the most big witch energy. Yeah, totally. Like, please, we want to know. We want to know. Give us know. your thoughts on this whole episode. Yeah. All right. All righty. And with that, we've been Big Gay Energy. If you like this episode, check out all of our other episodes on whatever you're using to listen right now. And please subscribe and like all the things. If you happen to be listening on Apple, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review, no matter how brief. This is what Apple uses in their algorithm to uh, help us gain a wider audience. So please, please, please help us out. Yes. And please feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you about everything and anything. And if we like it, we'll probably give you a shout out on the air. You can find us at all the things Twitter at Big Gay Energy Pod, Tumblr, Big Gay Energy Pod, Instagram, Big Gay Energy Pod, or you can email us at biggayenergypod at gmail.com. Until next time, stay safe and hydrate for lesbian Jesus.